Listen to this portion of God's story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw the star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route the word of the Lord thanks Rebecca thank you so much so a family uh, was driving into Fredericksburg Virginia to celebrate Christmas with their family, their extended family. And they passed a Baptist church. And when they looked out the window, the youngest boy in the car noticed that there was a manger scene in the yard in front of the church. And he said to his parents, what is that? What is that? And the mother said, oh, honey, that, that is uh, Mary and Joseph, and those are the shepherds. And that's baby Jesus right in the center in the manger. A few blocks later, they passed a Methodist church. And when they passed the Methodist church, the little boy noticed that there was a depiction of the wise men uh, making their way toward the manger, I suppose, right? And the young boy said, well, who are those people? And uh, the mother said, oh, well, you know, those, those are the wise men. And, and they are looking for, for baby Jesus. And the little boy said, well, they can't be that wise because they're not going to find Jesus there. He's back there a few blocks at the Baptist church. <laughs> now, for several weeks now, three weeks, we've been doing an Advent series. And um, we've been looking at some accounts of the incarnation and what the incarnation means to you and me. And so far, we've looked at hope and love and joy. And this week, we're going to be looking at peace. But we're going to be looking at peace as we unpack the story of the Magi or the wise men. And chances are, you've, you've seen many manger scenes in your life. 
and you've received Christmas cards uh, with pictures of the wise men. And so you probably think that you know the story pretty well, that you know the details pretty well. But after doing some research, I, I know I thought I knew the story pretty well, but after doing some research in preparation for this message, I realized that I had some misconceptions about the story and about the wise men. And I probably wouldn't have passed a simple quiz about the wise men. And so you may be surprised at what you know and what you don't know. (laughs) Now on the altar behind me, you'll notice that there is a manger scene. And on that altar, you can see Mary and Joseph. You can see the baby Jesus. You can see some farm animals. Uh, And you can also see some wise men uh, that are on camels that have apparently just arrived. Now, it's a heartwarming scene, uh, but the challenge is that it's a little bit misleading. It's a little misleading. See, first, the wise men didn't meet Jesus at the manger. They didn't meet him there. And so the wise men really shouldn't be a part of the manger scene. It's, it's not actually how it played out. And in fact, by the time they made it to Bethlehem, where Jesus was, Jesus had long since left the manger, and he had moved into a house with his mother Mary and, and Joseph. In fact, in Matthew 2.11, it says that the wise men found Jesus and Mary in a house. Okay, so not in a manger scene, but in a house. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, based on the distance that these wise men, or magi, would have had to travel, it would have taken months to prepare for a journey like that. And so by the time they actually got to Jesus, it's quite likely, or most likely, that he was probably one and a half years old, or maybe even two years old by the time they arrived. Second, how many wise men were there? Do you know? Now, most of us would say three. There's three wise men. But actually, nowhere in the scripture does it say that there were three wise men. It says there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it doesn't say anything about the number of wise men. We just assume. And there's probably some reasons why we do. We've, we've heard the song, right? We three kings... Of Orient are. And, and we've, we've, we've seen the Christmas cards. And there's oftentimes there's three wise men on the front of the Christmas cards. So we've just made this assumption that there are three. Okay. And third, the wise men were not kings. They were not kings. Now, the composer of that song that we sing, We Three Kings, was actually a pastor in Pennsylvania by the name of John Hopkins, and he wrote that song for a Christmas pageant that was going to take place here in Manhattan. He wrote it in 1857, and uh, he took some creative license in order to put this thing together. Um, Because there were three gifts, it just made sense that there would be three magi, right? So he, he wrote that into the song. And the one-syllable word kings 
fits the melody much better than the two-syllable words magi or wise men. And so he replaced those words with kings, we three kings. And the carol was so popular that everybody in the United States and even around the world just sort of adopted this idea that they must be kings. It's interesting how influential songs can be. Some of you are saying, what? What is he talking about? What is he? I mean, the next thing he's going to do is he's going to tell us that the elf on the shelf doesn't actually get up in the middle of the night and move things around. I mean, come on. Who is this guy? Well, I just have to break it to you. I think you're old enough to know the truth. I think you are. I think it's time for me to tell you the truth. And we can get information from all sorts of places, but what we really need to do, if we're talking about biblical things, we need to look to the Bible for the true answers. So who were these magi, these wise men? Well, the Greek word magi is translated into astrologers or magicians or interpreters of dreams, okay? Now, they lived in the East, Uh, Most likely, it was Persia or Arabia. We don't know exactly where. It doesn't say. We just know they were the east, from the east. And they they had devoted their lives to seeking wisdom and truth. They were looking for truth, but they knew nothing of Jesus. They'd never been exposed to the idea of Jesus. And they probably knew very little about the Jewish faith. Maybe they did. Again, it doesn't say. But given who they were... It's interesting that Matthew would share this account. It's interesting that Matthew would even put this in the Bible. Because, you know, the the practice of astrology or or magic or or divination or or, uh, those sorts of things were always condemned, both in the Old Testament and the New. And so Matthew certainly wouldn't want to celebrate that. So why did he put it in the Bible? Out of all the things that he could have written about, why this? Well, first, I think Matthew wanted us to know that this wasn't a fable. This was actually something that occurred. This was something that took place in history. And secondly, I think he wanted us to understand that this story reveals the heart of God. It reveals the heart of God. You see, God chose to reveal himself to the Magi, even though they were Gentiles, They were Gentiles, and even though they were practicing what we might in modern day call Zoroastrianism or astrology. But if you think about it, this is really the meaning of Christmas, isn't it? The Prince of Peace enters our world and makes himself known, not just to the elite, not just to a specialized group of people, but to all people, fallen people, broken people, to the least of them. That's the heart of God. Now, isn't it interesting that God used a star to attract these men? A sign that the Magi would have been uh, intrigued by. This is something that they they use daily to to try and figure out truth. Tim Keller uh, cites an interesting fact surrounding the death of Julius Caesar. And he says that when Julius Caesar, and this is actually a fact that can be attested, Julius Caesar, when he was being buried, by coincidence, there was a supernova that took place that same day. And it was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn that formed in an event that appeared like a really bright star in the sky. 
Now, this coincidence helped the astrology business for a number of years because it was cemented in people's minds when that happened that whenever a great king was born or died, there would be a great star in the sky. And so, of course, they always looked for that. And there was simultaneously around the same time a rumor that was circulating about a great king that would come out of Judea, that would be born and come out of Judea. And even pagan historians like Tacitus and, and Suetonius wrote about this. So it wasn't even just the Jewish uh, elite or the Jewish philosophers or teachers that were, that were believing this. It was all people at that time. And so when the Magi saw the star, they would have assumed that this rumor of this great king coming out of Judea had finally come to pass. And this was very, very important to them. So let's look at the journey of these Magi, the journey, what they had to do in order to reach Jesus. First, they traveled more than 1,000 miles, 1,000 miles. It would have taken months to prepare for a journey like that. Secondly, it would not have been a safe journey. It would not have been safe. Thieves and robbers were notorious for hanging out and hiding within the clefts of the rocks along these roads so that they could uh, loot and pillage and attack passersby. And so people would have traveled in large caravans, large caravans. There's no way that, the, that three of these guys just went by themselves. They just never would have done that. They would have taken a large caravan for protection. One commentator speculates that at minimum, they would have brought a full military escort with servants, all their servants, and there could have been as many as 300 people in their caravan. Of course, we never imagine it that way. Imagine what a stir 300 people would have made when they arrived in Jerusalem looking for the newborn king. I mean, people would have been like, what? Because this was news to those in Jerusalem. They asked King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now remember, Herod was disturbed by this news. He was the king. And so suddenly, he's hearing from these reputable wise men that a new king has been born. And they're there. They've traveled a long way in order to worship this new king. And so after consulting the scriptures, it was discovered that this child was not in Jerusalem, but could be found in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So here's another question. If the star was leading the wise men or the magi, why did they end up in Jerusalem? Why the detour? Clearly, God wanted these magi to go through Jerusalem, but why? Why? Well, as I was thinking about this, it, it occurred to me that until this point, until the wise men entered Jerusalem, Jerusalem had been left in the dark about Jesus. There had been no announcements to the elite or anyone in Jerusalem for that matter. There were some prophetic writings that had been written 700 years before. But Mary and Joseph had been visited by an angel. They knew the story. They knew what was happening. And, of course, we know from last week that the, that the shepherds 
received an angelic visitation, and so they knew what was happening. And what's interesting is the shepherds were just four or five miles outside of Jerusalem. And it's most certain that they would have shared this information, talked about it, but nobody believed them. Nobody believed them. So now two years have passed since the birth of Jesus, or roughly, and nobody believed these shepherds. So no one even thought about this new king or even the possibility of this new king. The idea of angels showing up to a group of shepherds was just laughable. Because remember, in that culture, in that era, only the elite would have had connection to God. That's the way they saw it. The richer you were, the more affluent you were, meant that you were favored by God and God was with you. And so obviously shepherds who had nothing, they were lowest on the totem pole, would no way have contact with God. And secondly, they didn't believe their testimony. They saw them as scoundrels, scum of the earth, and they never would have believed them. Common sense would suggest that if God wanted the world to know about his son coming into the world, he would have gone to the elite. He would have gone to the center of the, of the city where everything was happening. But God doesn't work the way we work. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29, it says that God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one could boast before him. Isn't that interesting? For whatever reason, God decided that this was the time that he wanted to reveal the beginnings of his plan to Jerusalem. So after the Magi made their way into Jerusalem and received directions on where they needed to go, the Magi then made their way to Bethlehem. And the star guided them. In Matthew 2, 9, it says that after they left Jerusalem, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So a star leads them out of Jerusalem to Bethlehem, to the very home where Jesus is residing. And when they found Jesus, they worshipped him, and they laid their gifts before him. Now, what's interesting is the type of gifts that they gave. Even the type of gifts that they gave is informative. It tells us something. There's something in there that we need to know. See, gold always represented royalty. Gold represented royalty. Frankincense is a symbol of prayer and speaks to his divinity. Okay? And then third, myrrh was used in embalming which is interesting, because it represents his death for you and me. How could these wise men have known this? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God is constantly weaving truth into his scripture to speak to his people, because the Bible is ultimately a love letter to you and me. These were all gifts that spoke not only to his identity, but his divinity. 
the creator of the universe entering our world in the form of a baby who becomes the only one who could give us the kind of peace that we're all searching for. Now, how do we find that kind of peace? How do we find peace? There are more than 200 names in the Bible, and only one of them is Prince of Peace. 200 names of Jesus, one of them is Prince of Peace, but how does he get that particular name of the 200? How does he get that name? You see, there wasn't a lot of peace on his arrival. The world was in a, in a, in a kind of a difficult, disastrous state. And, and soon after the Magi went home, remember they went home a different route because they had heard from the Spirit that they shouldn't return to Herod? Well, there was good reason for that because Herod was very territorial. He was, he was very concerned about his own power and his prestige and his own rule, and he wanted to protect his, his power. And so you know what he did, the next thing he did? He had all of the babies, two years and younger, murdered, all of them, in Bethlehem and in the vicinity because he was so worried that this prophetic word from these magi might actually be true. And he wasn't going to allow that to happen. Of course, Mary and Joseph heard from the angel that they needed to get out of town. And so they skipped town before all those murderers came in. And how did they survive as they fled this, this area? The gifts, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Even Jesus says, do not suppose that I came to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. So even Jesus is saying of himself that he's not bringing peace. So there seems to be sort of a contradiction here. He's the prince of peace, and yet he's come to bring a sword. That doesn't seem to align with the prince of peace. What, what's going on here? Well, even as we look back, even if you and I were to look back over the last 2,000 years since the birth of Christ, we probably would not say that we've experienced world peace. There's been a lot of social unrest, political unrest, and wars continuously for the past 2,000 years. There's been famines, there's been droughts, there's been mass starvation, there's been genocide, and the list goes on and on. So how do we reconcile Jesus bringing the sword and simultaneously bringing in peace, being the prince of peace? Well, Advent speaks to the incarnation, Jesus entering our world and becoming the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But it also, as we heard from, from the, the Advent reading a little bit earlier, it also points to his second coming, his second coming, where Jesus will return as a judge and wipe out everyone and everything that is evil and broken. And simultaneously, he will, he will bring together and rescue or redeem those who believe. And then he will bring absolute peace on earth. He will restore peace to our world. In Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, Isaiah describes what Christ's second coming will ultimately accomplish. I want you to listen to this. Think about this for a moment. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat, 
the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with, her, with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What is this describing? This is describing not only a fundamental shift from chaos and brokenness to what? Absolute peace. Complete peace. Even the animals will be at peace with one another. You see, right now, in this moment, we are living in an era that is often called now but not yet. The now but not yet. Jesus is king. He, he came into our world, but not everything will be subjected to him until his return. So we're living in this era called now but not yet. Peace is accessible to you and I in this time, in this era, but it has nothing to do with our circumstances or what's happening in the world around us. It's an orientation of the heart. It's fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's having confidence that God is ultimately in control and that he is, in fact, coming again for you and me. And when he does, he will bring everlasting peace. We have peace inside of us because of the peace of Jesus. But God is ushering in absolute peace, everlasting peace. And here's the thing, folks. Wise men and women still seek Jesus today. Wise men and women still seek Jesus. And the Holy Spirit still gifts and sustains and guides us in that journey. It's all happening around us and in us. And we can find the same peace that the wise men found when they discovered Jesus. We have access to Jesus as well. You see, all their lives, the Magi had been searching for wisdom and truth, and they finally found what they were looking for in a little baby by the name of Jesus. And if you open, if you open your heart, and if you open your minds and consider all that Jesus did for you, the extent that he went in order to give you the freedom that you currently have, the peace that you're currently experiencing, the fact that he died on the cross so that you could be free from the chains of sin and death, if you ponder that and you think about that for a moment and you accept him, and the gift that he's extended to you, you too will experience the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for the story of the wise men, the Magi, and their journey to find you. Lord, thank you for leading them by the power of your spirit and enabling them to come into presence, your presence. And Lord, thank you for doing the same for you and me. 
Thank you for your willingness to accept us even when we were far from you. Even when we were yet sinners, you died for us. And Lord, as we seek you, you fill our hearts with peace in the present. And you promise us that you will return. And when you do, there will be everlasting peace. And we will spend eternity with you and your Father in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.